I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome this Tuesday episode of Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. It's episode number 246. That's not so bad. We are over a year now spent together these afternoons shooting the breeze, chatting back and forth. And today will be uh, another one of these great conversations I look forward to so often. I'll tell you what's happening right now. We are standing by to hear from President-elect Joe Biden as he prepares to deliver remarks Again, from Wilmington, Delaware. It's expected that he is going to share some of his attitudes regarding the passage last night of the $900 billion coronavirus aid bill. We're going to talk later in the program about how Utah's delegation uh, made up their mind as votes were cast last night. So I'll give you a a quick rundown of how folks voted. Mike Lee uh, voted no. Chris Stewart voted no. John Curtis voted no. Congressman Rob Bishop, as you know, continues recovering uh, here in Utah from a minor stroke he suffered uh, a short while ago. I'll tell you a quick update there. He and I have been in pretty constant contact since then. Uh, His mind is sharp. He's quick. Uh, He's fine. He's uh, just going through some physical recovery right now, uh, but he is in good shape. Now, uh, there were two members of Utah's federal delegation yesterday that did vote for the $900 billion aid bill. That uh, Senator Mitt Romney and Congressman Ben McAdams. The two of them have both this morning put out statements uh, talking about why they made the decision to vote for the the measure. And we're going to get into these details later. I'm kind of uh, spoiling things now. Uh, apologies, just a preview of what's to come. There was uh, an element of the legislation that dealt with uh, water rights on the Navajo Nation and the two Members of the delegation, Senator Romney and Representative McAdams, uh, both had a hand in that. There's a letter they wrote and sent to the president. Anyway, we'll get into those details later. But uh, that's where things stand right now. And it is, like I said a moment ago, expected that President-elect Joe Biden will take to the microphone here very shortly and offer remarks in reaction to what took place last night. Uh, Before we get to that, though, and while we're waiting, uh, something just came across my desk and it, it it revealed to me uh, an important lesson in not only this job that I have here as a radio talk show host, but also to, I think, everyone. And the lesson is that we ought to be we ought to be slow to form condemning opinions of people and actions. Because sometimes when you are presented with just one side of the story, absent the explanation, offered up by the accused, it is easy to dig your heels in and develop 
uh, certain attitudes. What am I talking about? A few days ago, the Associated Press uh, broke a story uh, under the headline, Burke's Travels, Family Visits Highlight Pandemic Safety Perils. Burke's there, Dr. Deborah Burke, she's the coordinator of the White House Coronavirus Response, and she has been, you've seen her in all the press conferences when the president and the vice president and Dr. Fauci and others gather in the press briefing room there at the White House. You'll often see and sometimes hear from Dr. Burks. The story, written by the Associated Press, reads, in part, the day after Thanksgiving, she traveled to one of her vacation properties on Fenwick Island in Delaware. She was accompanied by three generations of her family from two households. Burks, her husband, a daughter, son-in-law, and two young grandchildren were present. And then it goes in to highlight uh, what is presented as a hypocrisy in the actions and travel and behavior of Dr. Burks when compared to the guidance that's been put forth by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention when it asks Americans not to travel over the holidays and discourage indoor activity involving members of different households. The advice states, quote, people who do not currently live in your household unit, such as college students who are returning home from school for the holidays, should be considered part of different households. My first reaction was, oh my gosh, she's a hypocrite. How, are, how am I to come onto this microphone each and every day demanding that people stay away from their family members and celebrate only with those in their own household, which means for some people, you celebrate by yourself. How, how can I share that advice coming from a source that has no regard for the advice themselves. I almost came on the air yesterday and, and said all that. I almost came on the air yesterday and said, how dare Dr. Burks uh, do this? How dare Dr. Burks uh, engage herself in such blatant hypocrisy? One set of rules for us commoners and another set of rules for the ruling class. But then... I was confronted with this, a statement from her, which reads, quote, like many Americans, I am the sole caregiver. This statement came out subsequent to the reports of her traveling with members outside of her household and getting together with people with whom she didn't uh, live. All of that conflicting with the advice given by her directly in some instances. Her response, quote, like many Americans, I am the sole caregiver for my parents. They live with me in my immediate household in Potomac, where my daughter and her family reside as well. We are all supporting and providing for each other during this difficult time. We did not hold the usual Thanksgiving we have every year, which includes 30 to 40 members of my extended family. In fact, I did not hold a Thanksgiving celebration whatsoever this year. My trip to Delaware after the Thanksgiving holiday solely focused on preparing the property for a potential sale. Members of my immediate household assisted in that as well. As some members of my immediate family could be at risk for COVID-19, I am extremely vigilant in taking all precautions to protect them. I self-isolate, I wear a mask, and I get tested when I interact with them. My family and I follow and practice the CDC guidelines, and I encourage all Americans, especially those in similar situations, to do the same. Now, deciding where your opinion lies today will certainly depend on whether or not you believe Dr. Deborah Burks. 
But to have formed an opinion yesterday with just one side of the story, as I was so very close to doing, uh, would have put us on the wrong path, I guess. And today, now that we have a, a bit more of the picture painted by all the parties involved, I think now is when it is fine and appropriate to decide whether or not you believe Dr. Burks. I choose to believe her and not to believe the account of uh, the Associated Press that her actions were uh, hypocritical in nature. The big picture here is not what Dr. Burks did or didn't do following the Thanksgiving holiday, but it is that during these times of such confusion and anxiety and uncertainty about what is true and what is not, the important lesson to learn is that we ought to be deliberate. We ought to be deliberate and thorough and collect all information available before we form opinions, especially uh, especially when the information is uncertain. All right, thanks for walking through that little life lesson that I <laughs> that I experienced myself there. We are still awaiting President-elect Joe Biden to speak uh, in response to this $900 billion coronavirus bill. We're going to take a break right now, uh, and when we return, uh, we may be hearing from the vice president or we— <laughs> Here, the, the truth is we have a guest scheduled for the next segment. I expected the vice president to have spoken and be done by now so we could move on to Larry Madden, who is the interim superintendent of the Salt Lake City School District. The, the news regarding the superintendent is that he intends to put forward a proposal to the Salt Lake City School Board to uh, return secondary students to the classroom. So it's either Joe Biden or Larry Madden next on Live Mike. We'll see what happens. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this KSL News Radio. We're going to duck out of this commercial break early and go now to Wilmington, Delaware, where President elect Joe Biden is speaking, expected to deliver a reaction to the passage of last night's $900 billion coronavirus aid bill passed by Congress. Our hearts go out to all of you who have fallen on hard times through no fault of your own, I might add. Unable to sleep at night weighed down with the worry of what tomorrow will bring for you and for your family. We're especially grateful for the healthcare workers on the front lines, the scientists, the researchers, the clinical trial participants on the front lines of the vaccine who deserve uh, our thanks and who delivered us scientific breakthrough. And for all of you who have deployed family, deployed family members in the military, we know what it's like. We know what that experience is like, how difficult it can be, especially at this time of the year. Our family knows your sacrifice, and our hearts are always with you. But keep the faith. Throughout this year, we had to forego many of our favorite holiday traditions. We have, have as families, as communities, and as a country. For the Bidens, we usually have 20 to 25 family members over for Christmas dinner. And then the immediate family, 14 of our kids and grandkids and their spouses uh, for uh, coming down the stairs on Christmas morning, but not this year. Like we did over Thanksgiving, we all have to care enough for each other that we have to stay apart just a little bit longer. I know it's hard. We have a long way to go, but we're grateful that we've got the vaccine. And yesterday, in an effort to instill some confidence in the vaccine, I had my shot administered in public, and I got a chance to thank all those nurses and docs at Christiana Hospital for what they've been putting up with and doing for so long. I look forward to the second shot, and I have absolute confidence in the vaccine. 
but we're in short supply. Taking the vaccine from a vial into the arm of millions of Americans is one of the biggest operational challenges the United States has ever faced. We're 300 million people. And we're going to take many more months for that to happen. In the meantime, this pandemic rages on. Experts, experts say things are going to get worse before they get better, notwithstanding the fact we have the vaccine. As you all know, we're averaging a death rate of close to 3,000 people a day. That means we're going to lose tens of thousands of more lives in the months to come. And the vaccine won't be able to stop that. So we'll still have to remain vigilant. We need everyone to mask up, stay socially distanced, avoid large gatherings, particularly inside. We need to work in a bipartisan way. That's the only way we're going to get through this in tough times. And we have our first hint and glimpse of bipartisanship. I applaud the Congress, their economic relief package that included funding for vaccine distribution, much needed temporary relief for workers, families and small businesses. In this election, the American people made it clear they want us to reach across the aisle and work together on matters of national concern to get something done. And I believe that to be the case from the very beginning of my campaign. And I'm happy to see members of Congress heeding that message as well from their own constituents. Leaders in both House and Senate, both parties, deserve credit for making the hard compromises to get this done. But like all compromises, it's far from perfect. But it does provide vital relief at a critical moment. However, as I've said all along, this bill is just the first step, a down payment, in addressing the crisis, the crises, more than one that we're in. There's a lot more work to do. Early next year, I'm going to put forward to the Congress my plans for what comes next. We'll need more help to fully distribute the vaccine. We're going to need more testing in order to be able to open our schools. We need more funding to help firefighters and police, many of whom are being laid off as I speak. And the same with nurses, risking their lives on the front lines. The same for millions of hurting families who are unable to put food on the table, pay rent or the mortgage. We're going to step away from remarks being delivered by President-elect Joe Biden. We'll also look forward to that proposal as soon as he makes it available. You can bet uh, I'll be pouring through it and we'll bring to you all the details as they become available. Again, President Joe, B- President-elect Joe Biden delivering remarks from Wilmington, Delaware. We'll continue to monitor that uh, offline. And if there's any news broken during his remarks, uh, bring it to you here on KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.